0: Oh, it's good to see your faces. Hope you guys had an awesome Thanksgiving. Good to see that you're here to repent of your gluttony. We've been praying for you. This morning we start a brand new series uh, called Do You Hear What I Hear? As we uh, are in December and come down just the crazy run here to, Dece- to Christmas here in the next 24 days. And so to begin, uh, I know Christmas is kind of received uh, by all of us in different ways. And for some of us, we love Christmas. Right? It brings back a lot of nostalgic feelings about growing up and memories, and they're all good, or most of them are good. For some of us, not so much. And so I kind of want to get a gauge on the Christmassy vibe of the room. All right, so, so I, I'm going to do an informal poll, okay? So, so 0 to 5 is like you could take or leave Christmas. If Christmas never came back around, you would be perfectly fine with that. Not really a big fan of this time of year, right? That's 0 to 5. 6 to 8 is kind of like, you know what? Christmas is good. We do the thing. We do the stuff. I like it. It's good. I'm pro-Christmas. Right? Eight to ten is like, I've been listening to Christmas music since Halloween. Right? And if I could change my name to Chris Christmas and still be employable, I might do that. All right? So just out of curiosity, so zero to five is like, yeah, not so, such a big fan of Christmas. Anybody brave enough? Okay. Yep. 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 Appreciate the honesty. Okay. Six to eight. It's like, yeah, Christmas is a good thing. I'm positive on Christmas. Okay. A lot of you. All right. How about eight to tens? Yeah, diehard Christmas. Okay. Yeah, I can hardly keep quiet. Like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. So you're pumped about this time of year. Uh, it's good. It's good. So we've got, so we've got like a wide spectrum represented in the room um, when it comes to Christmas. And uh, for some of us, it evokes a lot of positive memories and a lot of positive feelings. And, and for some of us, uh, not so much. Um, and I think maybe one of the reasons that there is such a broad experience when it comes to Christmas, and it's not always received well. It's, it's just hard to divorce, it's hard to, to separate uh, our experience of Christmas and our feelings about Christmas from our experiences and feelings uh, of home. Right, we talk about home, we think about home a lot this time of year. Um, I know for me, when I, like around this time of year, I think a lot about, about home as I remember it when I was a kid. Right, so I remember uh, you know, in our, our old house on 6th Avenue, looking out the window at the piles of Minnesota snow, you know, and feeling like the cold drafts coming through our old windows, and sitting on the old radiator to get warm. And I remember Christmas Eve is like we just couldn't wait for church to get over. It's like just get us home because we were going to get to open up one present that night. You know, and I remember my dad reading to us the Christmas story, and we're like, "Come on, hurry up! <laughs> we want to get to the presents." Um, anybody, any Bob Rivers? You know, Bob Rivers. Familiar with Bob Rivers by chance? So Bob Rivers is like the weird owl of Christmas albums, and he put out like several parodies. Uh, Albums, they parody like Christmas classics. And so when I was a kid, I have very fond memories of us just belting out these songs, uh, the top of our lungs. Songs like, Oh Come All Ye Grateful Deadheads, and I Came Across a Roadkill Deer, and my personal favorite, Walking Around in Women's Underwear. (laughs) Very appropriate. And uh, we would sing these at the top of our lungs as kids, and I just remember my dad wiping tears from laughing so hard, and my mom just shaking her head. It's like, am I ruining our kids <laughs> forever? Is an intervention needed? Right? And I have very fond memories of Christmas morning. and Sprinting down the stairs and seeing all the, all the toys under the tree. And waking up our parents and opening gifts and playing. And um, I, I, Around Christmas time, I think a lot about those memories um, growing up of home as I remember it. And we, we think and we talk a lot about home this time of year. Right? And it's hard not to think about home. You've got the, the old same songs playing on radio on repeat. Right? If you're not a fan of Christmas, I know you're not on 107.3. Because right? it's constant. Uh, the same TV shows right? playing on reruns on the same old channels. The familiar smells, the traditions. Right? It's hard to get away from home. We sing songs like there's no place like home for the holidays. Right? And I'll be home for Christmas. There's perhaps no word, maybe not another word in the English language that is as evocative uh, and moving, for better or for worse, is this word, home. Right, the word home can, can fill your heart. And the word home can make you feel profoundly empty. Right, the word home can make you smile, and the word home can make you cry. And it doesn't matter how old you get or how independent or put together you are, right, our experiences of home uh, have a way of following us, don't they? They follow us, no matter how old we get. Right, some of you can't wait to get home for Christmas, right? See your extended family, because they are all role models of spiritual maturity and emotional health, right? <laughs> and we laugh, because that's not most of us, right? Because I think for all of us, there is, there is a gap, right? There's, there's, there's the home that we long to experience, right? And then there's the home that we actually have, or that we had. And there's a gap there. And for some of us, the gap is really wide and really painful. Right, we have a lot of interesting language around home. Right? In, in contexts like this, we talk uh, fairly often about broken homes. Right? Homes where something or someone was missing, where it felt, it felt incomplete. Right? And even for those of us who had the great privilege of growing up in a home with both biological parents, um, for many of us, I think we would share in the experience of saying, you know, my home wasn't perfect. And if I'm really honest, there's, there's something about home that I experienced growing up or I didn't experience growing up that was missing. Uh, Something I still still long for. And I would suggest to you the reason for that and the reason that that's such a common experience for so many of us is because there's a longing for home in every single one of us that no home on this earth can fully satisfy. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about this, uh, this home and our longing for home. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about um, what it means, perhaps, for us to really be home and come home this Christmas. When I was a kid, we had a sign on our doorway, and it said, home is where the heart is. And every time I walked in the door, I saw that sign, and my mom had hung, home is where the heart is. And I always liked that, right? And I like that because it suggests that home is, is way more than a building, and it's way more than even a group of people. But it's something deeper, right? It's far more, it's far more personal to us, right? For better or for worse, home is where uh, we're shaped, for the most part, right? It's where we're molded. It's where we learn how to live. Um, it's where we get our name, right? We receive a big part of our identity at a very young age from home, right? And we ask people, where are you from? Where do you call home? Right, and the scriptures, because of this, have, have some really profound things to say for those of us who are parents about what home uh, our houses were meant to be. And so in Deuteronomy 6.5, it actually says this, called the Shema very important words. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, right? Words that we would hear Jesus uh, reiterate later. Then it goes on to say this in verse 7. It says, impress these commands on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, right? Of course, none of us do this perfectly, but the idea here is like, home is supposed to be this, this God-centered, God-saturated, right? God-loving, God-reflecting place. In right? this way, it's meant, to be, it's meant to be a place where God is present, a safe place, right? a place where we can rest. In Psalm 84.3, uh, it says this. It says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. Right? In the ancient times, there, there was hardly another animal that existed that was more vulnerable uh, than the sparrow. Right? So it's often used metaphorically as, as a vulnerable creature. And it says, even the sparrow, uh, even the sparrow finds a, has a home, right? a place that is safe, a place where they can rest. Right? In Genesis, when Noah and the families on the ark are wondering whether the water has receded enough to expose some land, right? they send out a duff Right? Some of us are familiar with this story. And they send out a dove, and the dove returns empty-handed, and it says this. She could not find a place to rest, the sole of her foot. Right? This is the Hebrew expression for home, a place to rest. Right? John Ortberg, I'm a huge fan of John Ortberg. I'm drawing a lot from him this morning. Got, got a chance to spend some time with his wife when we were in L.A., and she is a feisty one. She's a strong leader, just a riot. And he, her and John were reflecting on this truth, this, this biblical idea that home is a place of rest. And she said, that was obviously written by a man. Because only a man would think that home is a place to rest. <laughs> in fact, a survey was done uh, amongst families asking them what their favorite house in the, in the home was. Uh, and everybody, just about everybody, said it was the kitchen. So all the husbands and fathers said, oh yeah, kitchen, favorite home. Right, the kids said, oh yeah, kitchen, favorite room in the house. Right, everybody except for the moms. Anybody want to guess what room theirs was a favorite? Bathroom. That's right. The bathroom. It's like the only place you're going to get rest. I remember Megan sharing stories like when she'd just, I'd be at work and the kids would just want her attention all the time. And she's like, I just need a break. And she goes to the bathroom, slams the door. <laughs> Love you, kids. I'll see you later. Right? It's the only safe place in the house uh, for a mom. And then they, they, of course, would come to the door and talk under the door and put their fingers under the door. <laughs> mom, I need something. There's no rest. <laughs> but home is supposed to be a place of rest. A safe place. All right, it's part of the reason we long for it. Right, it's part of the reason, too, that when it's not a safe place, uh, it's so devastating to young kids. Right, when home is a place of insecurity right, and constant flux and chaos or abuse, All right, it's devastating in those de- developmental years. Right? Anybody in psychology uh, will tell you that. It's because home is meant to be a safe place. It's meant to be a place of rest. And it's meant to be a place where we belong. Right? Actually, it's very interesting. The first verses in the Bible are of God creating home. Right? And so when we are made, when humanity is birthed, we are birthed into home, in the garden. And, and it's interesting because we still talk about this. We still write about it. We still write songs about it. We still name parks after this home that we once knew. We still name entire cities after this home that we once knew. Right? Because that was home. Right? Because God was there. And not only was God there, but it was, we were with our Heavenly Father in unbroken communion. Right? We it talks about us walking in the cool of the day with our Creator. That was home. Right? And when we were kicked out, when Adam and Eve disobeyed, just as we choose every single day, we can't be mad at them, we make the same choice every day. Uh, something was lost, something deep to us, something profound. And we've been longing for it ever since. Right, and there might not be anybody in the scriptures who struggled more with this idea of home than Moses. Right, because if you're familiar with the story of, of Moses, Moses never really had a home. Right, Moses was born into genocide. And so many of what would have been his peers were killed. And we find that he is ripped out of his family's house. He never got to know his parents growing up. He was raised as an orphan in Pharaoh's courts. And so this idea of home must have been a very complicated idea, very disconnected idea in some ways for Moses. When he was much older, Moses undoubtedly just longed for that brotherhood, of that, that pure connection with his own people that he never had. And so much later in his life, we find that he goes to the aid of one of his countrymen and the process takes the life of an Egyptian And he's forced to run from the only home he's ever known right? Forced to be a nomad And he, he runs to the Midian desert And he's there for a long time right? And eventually he starts a family Starts to raise some kids He gets married Tries to make a home for himself And then what happens? God comes to him and he says I want you to leave your home I want you to go back to Egypt And lead my people out of slavery and so he does, and he leads them out of the only homes they had ever known, where they had lived for hundreds of years. And together, they were nomads camping along the desert for 40 years in the wilderness, just wandering, never really landing anywhere. And then at the very end of his life, right, God brings him up on this mountain, and he shows him the promised land, and he says, this is it. This is the place I talked about. This is going to be home for my people. But you'll never know it. Right, and his life ends up on that mountain. But we find something very profound that Moses writes because he discovers something about home, real home, true home along the way uh, that we can't miss. And he writes this in Psalm 90. It's the only psalm attributed to Moses. Listen to this. This is what Moses learns about real home. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all the generations. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. This is the cry of a homeless man who says, God, you are home. Right, it's not a house. It's not a town. It's not a place. It's not familiarity. It's not nice furnishings. He says home is where God is. Right, home is in the arms of our Heavenly Father. To be with God, that's to be home. Right, in Him, in the Lord, the Scriptures say, all things have their being. Right, but apart from Him, there is nothing. There is no real home. And C.S. Lewis, he wrote a, a lot of famous quotes Brilliant man. Continues to influence us uh, and impact the world to this day. And one of his most famous quotes, he writes this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I'll read that again. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And Tim Keller points out, he says, look, this is the reason that we can look at very influential, prominent thinkers who are not Christians. They had no Christian influence. They didn't buy into what we believe. And yet they can, guys on completely different ends of the spectrum will still point to this feeling of exile and homelessness that so many of us feel. And so he he points, for example, to uh, Martin Heidegger, who is an uh, existentialist, and Karl Marx. Very different. Totally different uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got one guy... Uh, Heidegger, who's uh, a fascist uh, sympathizer, and you got Karl Marx, who's the father of communism, and they disagreed on a lot, but one of the one things that they both agreed on is what they called alienation. They said, you cannot understand the human condition without understanding this universal sense that we feel of being alienated, of feeling homeless, of feeling like we're in exile and and somehow like we don't belong here. C.S. Lewis goes on, he says, why, why is this then? Right, if we can have a conversation about God not existing, why is it that we feel so disconnected? Why do, why do we feel homeless? Right? what, what does this tell us about ourselves? And he goes on, he says, look, being hungry doesn't prove that I'll get food, but surely being hungry proves that there is such a thing as food. Right, the, the, the fish don't complain about being wet, right, but if I took a bucket of water on you this morning and I'd, I threw it at you. You wouldn't be happy, right? You'd be upset because I just got you all wet. Well, it's because you're not an aquatic creature, right? So why is it that we don't feel at home here, right? What does that tell us about ourselves? And he goes on to say, look, if it's just a material universe, if it's a material world, then you're a material girl. That wasn't in my notes. Thanks. Um, (laughs) Right, If this is just a, a material universe, if that's, if that's all you are, why don't you feel at home here? Right? Why the feeling of unrest? Why the feeling of homelessness? And he goes on to say, look, it's because you're, you're, this home, this, this world as it is, is not what you're created for. It wasn't meant to be home. It's the only possible explanation. And Moses agrees. Right? And he says, this world as it is, is not our home. It can't be. Apart from God, there is no home. And the feeling of homelessness remains. Right, it's very interesting how much of Jesus' teachings are couched in this home language. And how much of it is set against the backdrop of what home was in his day. Which, by the way, is very different than home in our day. Right, and so in Jesus' day, right, a home, a home was different. The way that uh, you had, a, like had a, a homestead, you had something called an insula. And you'd have this, this common space in the middle, outdoors oftentimes, and it'd be where you kept animals, you'd have some cooking space, right? And then the living space was built around it, right? And that would actually house uh, multiple generations of people. So when a couple got married, they would go to live with his father's house. Very different. Very different. It's a good thing it's different. I have a feeling if uh, that was part of my proposal, hey, babe, you got to come live with me and my parents. That might have been a deal breaker. (laughs) All right, I love you, but not that much. Um, Well, this is how it was back then, and this is one of the reasons, by the way, that Jesus is always talking about invitations to weddings and how you have to go out and invite people back. It's because when a couple got engaged, you didn't know what the date was going to be for the wedding. You wouldn't set the date, get the banquet room, or get the caterer, right, book the the minister, and do that whole deal, right? You didn't know when when it was going to happen. What would happen is these two families would come together, and a negotiation would take place. It was arranged by the fathers, which I think Two daughters. That's a great idea. We should go back to that. It's biblical. They would be arranged, and they would agree on a price. Right? And so it actually, uh, when it came to the bride, there had to be a price, and a bride was often referred to she who was bought with a price, at a price. And what would happen is she would go back home, and her job was just to get ready and prepare. And what the son and the dad would do is they would return home, and he would say to his bride-to-be, I'm going to come back for you, but I've got to go get our home ready. And he would go back with his dad. The dad would kind of be the contractor, and they'd start the building project. And they would work and work and work. And when it got close, an ancient groom, uh, an anxious groom, you know, which I'm sure was a lot of them, would go to his dad and say, is it time yet? Is it ready? You know, and if it wasn't, the dad would say, nope, it's not time, it's not ready, it's not finished. But eventually the day would come, and the father would say, all right, it's finished. It's time. Go get your bride. Right. And he would go get his friends, and they would go to the town where the bride lived. And there would be a parade. Oftentimes, they would sound the trumpet, and there would be this huge thing. Right. And they would go, and the bride would get ready, and the pre- preparations would be made. The invitations would go out. People would be invited in, and there would be a wedding. Right. And then eventually, uh, he would take her home. All right. So there's, one day, Jesus is talking to his friends in John 14. And he shares with them. He says, uh, I'm going away and my life is coming to an end. And they're devastated. Uh, in, in an instant, they feel homeless because, in a sense, Jesus has become a, a sort of home for them. Right? They feel like they've discovered, finally, who they are. There's a sense of identity. There's a sense of belonging to this new Jesus community that is, that is, that is coming to fruition. Right? That he has been their safety. He's been their everything, and now he's going away. Right? And they feel Homeless. And they wonder, what do we do now? Where are we going to go? This is home. And then he says this to them in verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. All right, those listening to Jesus, friends, they knew exactly what he was saying. All right, this is groom talk. All right, this would not have been foreign imagery. They got exactly what he's throwing down here. Because what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to my father's insula. i right, I'm gonna go prepare this place. And there's already many rooms, so the rooms don't need to be built. Jesus isn't going just to prepare rooms. He's going to prepare a way for us to finally get back home. And this man, this Jesus, whose birth we remember 2,000 years ago, I remember he he did that. And he's gonna do that by way of the cross. In the same chapter, he goes on to say this, and I love this, verse 23. Jesus says this, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them. Get this, and we will come to them and make our Home with them. See, without Jesus as a part of this equation, home remains one of those things that just strikes us as missing and incomplete. Home becomes the very thing that we can never really find because home is with God. Home is with Jesus. And every single day, we we make the same choice Adam and Eve did and we step out of Eden and we walk away from home, right, and disobey. And I think, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I think most days I lived completely oblivious to just how dark the things that I think and say and do really are. Usually up until one of my close friends who also loves Jesus pulls me aside and gets in my face and calls me on it. right? Or I'm staring at the consequences of my actions and I realize, oh, I really do need a Savior, don't I? All right, now Christmas, Jesus came because we need someone to make our way back home for us to provide a way. The apostle Paul talks to the church of Corinth and says this in 1 in uh, Corinthians chapter six. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And then to listen to this language once more. You were bought at a price. All right, this is bride talk. Again right, That there was a price that had to be paid And Jesus paid it all You were bought with a price And that is why Jesus came into this world That's why he went to the cross That's what he was doing on the cross He was paying the bride price So that you and I could come home This is the story of the scriptures Very interesting That the very first few verses In the Bible Are of God creating home Where we walk with him In the cool of the day and then you fast forward to the very end of the story, right? And it says the exact same thing and speaks of home once more. In Revelations chapter 21, this is what it says. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautifully dressed bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. All right there it is again. And the idea here is this is our heart. This is our soul. Right, We fall short, but in Jesus, forgiven, the junk is gone, the darkness is gone, the shame is gone, the brokenness is gone. Beautiful in God's eyes because of what Jesus did. And in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, God's home is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Right? God says, now I'm home and home is not somewhere else. But it's right here, when I'm with you. Right? It's very interesting. The scriptures say that in the end, the difference between eternal life and death is not geographical because God is coming here and taking up residence here. Or right? the difference between eternal life and death it's not geographical. It's relational. It always has been. It always will be. And that's what your soul and my soul longs for. For home. Right, And the truth is, this Christmas and next year and for the rest of your life, you can look to other things, you can. You can look to houses, careers, friends, family, and those things are all well and good, but they cannot, they cannot bear the weight of your soul. They are not home. And unless you understand that, Man, unless you come to understand that your relationship with God is the most important thing, getting that relationship and cultivating that relationship, until you come to understand that that is home, that home will be the one thing you never have. Right? And, and, and in the words of Karl Marx and his counterpart, right, you always feel like an exile, like an alien in a foreign world, like home in some far off place and you just can't find it. In the words of Tim Keller, you're going to feel like a person who's always traveling and never arriving. Your life will feel like always winter and never Christmas. Or on Christmas, we remember, that, we remember that, man, 2,000 years ago, God was not content to remain over there while we were here. Right? And watching us wander and feel lost and discouraged and broken and alone was not something that he was okay with. Right on Christmas, we remember that, wow, God came here, was born amongst us, walked amongst us, and made a way for us, for us to come home. And for you, I know in a a room this size, we have people all over the place. And, And for some of us, maybe this is just a matter of, as we begin this Christmas season, slowing down and stopping and remembering what home is. Right? and making your home in God and making your home a place where God, that is God-saturated and God-loving and God-reflecting. Right? But I think in a, a room like this, I can also safely say that there are some, there are others, and maybe for you, like this Christmas, it's time to come home. Right? And that is about a relationship, not a geographical location. And Jesus went to the cross to make a way because he's crazy about you and because he's been pursuing you with his love since the day you were born and if that's where you're at I want to give you a chance to do that this morning so as we as a community let's, let's close in prayer together and as we do if you're in this room and home has always been this disconnected place an idea a romantic idea that has never been a reality in your life perhaps you're at a place to realize maybe for the first time that your real home is not here and it's not at your house and it's not even with a group of people but it is in the arms of your Heavenly Father who is crazy about you and inviting you to walk with Him in the cool of the day and to be right with Him to be your son, His son, His daughter once more. And that begins by a simple prayer and simply saying, God, I want to come home. God, I want to come home. And I recognize that I don't always live with an awareness of how broken I am or how selfish some of the decisions that I make are. But in this moment, I I, I know that I I can't save myself. That I am, if I'm a child, I'm a prodigal one. And so I ask for the forgiveness of, the covering that was offered on the cross because I want to come home. And Lord God, for those of us in this place, Lord, that we, we know you, we love you, we're your sons and your daughters, perhaps this needs to be a season where we remember where home really is because it's, all, it's so easy to stray. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it all the time. And so this Christmas season, Lord, I don't want to miss what took place 2,000 years ago when God came in the flesh and walked amongst us and worked amongst us and went to the cross for us. So, Lord, we want to come home and as your sons and as your daughters. We pray these things in your name.